Hello, my name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now, usually I bring you leaders at the top of their game who share their success secrets and their lessons learned along the way. Instead, this is one of three episodes where you can be a fly on the wall of my consulting room. Taking the subject of the inner critic, I coach three very different women in three very different ways. I hope the sessions will help you as much as they help the ladies that I'm coaching. Sit back, enjoy and hold on tight. Lisa, thank you very much for um, agreeing to do this session. Um, you and I have never worked together before. This is the no. first time that we've met, but you uh, sent me a synopsis a few days ago that kind of articulated some of the things that are happening for you at the moment and with a particular focus on the inner critic. And when I read through, I could really resonate with some of the things that you were saying, not only from my own journey, but of the journey of, of lots of my clients as well. Uh, so I don't know whether you feel like you are the only one that experienced this stuff, but I can tell you, you're definitely not. Um, so it'd be really good, I think, if you could just start, as I start all my sessions, by just giving me a bit of an overview as what's going on, because you wrote this amazing line in there. You've run all of these successful companies, and yet you wrote this line, which was, yeah, I find myself filling time, constantly trying to prove myself. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about that and a lot more about what's going on for you right now. Okay. Um, well, lockdown has been, I'm one of those weird ones where lockdown has been amazing. I've loved lockdown. And I guess, <laughs> you know, the blessing that I've been very well as well, <laughs> that's helpful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but for the first time in 26 years, I've done one job. So um, it's enabled me to legitimately stop. And um, when I reflect back, actually, I was talking to my best friend about this the other day because we walk. So we both have headphones in and we walk separately, but we talk all the time. We're walking. And um, I said, you know, my mum never stopped either. So I was modelled out. So my mum had, mum and dad had a business from me being three. And um, she'd run, they'd run home at the end of the day and she would do everything. So my dad would sit in his chair. It's that generation, you know, <laughs> and my mum would make dinner and then he'd get up and he'd eat his dinner. Then he'd sit back down and then she'd iron while she was watching the TV and she, she never stopped. And so I guess there's a bit of me and my best friend, we've been best friends since we were 11. So she pointed that out to me because you don't realise it, do you, yourself? But yeah, I don't, I realise that I do and do and I go and I keep going and I'm always striving for perfection. And if it isn't perfect, then I want to know why. And if it isn't perfect, then I either try to strive to make it so or after, I'm very reluctant to give anything up because that's failing in my opinion. But I actually also don't know my limits. I also don't recognise when actually it's time to stop and it's okay to stop because I'm frightened to fail. Does that make any sense? It makes total, total sense. And, and in your pursuit of the perfection, 
have there been any times when to your standards you've met perfection or or is it that you're always just striving for it yeah I think with my visual stress business I do I get amazing feedback and I love my clients and I meet the most amazing young people and you get these lovely feedbacks and you go oh that's really nice but it's almost like I feel like I'm reading it about somebody else mm-hmm. does that that's weird as well isn't it I'm not really it's not weird it's very normal and when you're doing that and you're looking at the feedback that you get it is it almost that you're not able to to accept it being about you and therefore you just move on to the next bit yeah I think so and uh, and um one of my friends said to me that you but you didn't acknowledge that you you went straight on to that comment below when well yeah because that needs dealing with yeah but you didn't acknowledge that bit oh yeah that's interesting I didn't yeah so yeah I do I don't I just go oh thanks very much but what we need to do now <laughs> And and let me ask you this then, what if the um, feedback is critique or even a criticism? How would you feel about that? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, in your book, when you, you, you talk about don't feed the trolls and about how you first started dealing with the trolls. Oh, my goodness. I'm going, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do 110 percent to convert that person. I understand that this is what you mean, but I just want to say. So try and justify that and try and work around it. I don't like not being liked. I don't like it when somebody doesn't see me in the way I want them to see me. Or just see me for me rather than this person that they think I am. Like, that's not me. That's not fair. You're not being fair. And everything's got to be fair. It's not fair. (laughs) So there's a real fairness program going on. But you mentioned there you know people have to like you for for you who are you or you know are there multiple versions of you yeah I think so and I think I learned that very early so I was into acting from the age of eight so um Ah. yeah and I I work in theatre now but I'm on the other side so direct or for some but um from the age of eight I could hide behind a character and I did very successfully um and I can do that now so, you know, people, sometimes when I give them a glimpse into the real me, go, how do you, why didn't you have a, I don't need to, because that's there. I can be who I need to be at that time. Okay, so when someone has a, a dislike of you, if we're going to say that, if someone has a dislike of you, are they really disliking you? Or is it the version of you that you portray? That's interesting. I would always say that the, the version, no, I would always say it was me they didn't like. Okay. Not and actually, it's a, a mask that they're not liking. Yeah, but I'm quite outspoken as well. I don't pull my punches. Like, I'm very political, you know, and I'm very uh, vocal on certain issues, like things that really matter to me, kids in care, the homeless, you know, Black Lives Matter, whatever it is. Yeah. Really vocal about it. And so... I don't hide behind a mask then, that is me, that's the passion, okay. you know. So when you have a cause, you're able to show up authentically as you, confident in who you are and what you believe in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say I can. And so why does that differ? And what circumstances would it differ in, in terms of when you wear the mask? 
I guess if it's for a professional reason, so if it might be uh, particularly with visual stress, you know, I, I strive to be professional at all times and I'm very loath to be controversial, although it's quite controversial in itself as, as, a, as a condition, it's quite controversial. So, yeah, so I want to have that absolute professionalism coming out because I am professional. Mm. But, um, at I, your very heart and your authentic self is professional yes would you say I am. yeah and if I don't believe in something I can't do it I can't <laughs> I, I, integrity is everything exactly. if I don't believe in it or I can't or I didn't think I was able I wouldn't do it and I'd okay. never promote something that I didn't believe in so we're getting some values coming through here in terms of fairness in terms of integrity and these are the things that drive you yes and to, to be the best that you can be and to be your true self yes I would say that's really true actually yeah now talk to me about the disapproval then or the when somebody dislikes you when you experience that where do you feel it how does it show up it's interesting isn't it because I don't get a lot of opposition I guess that in my face opposition I'm sure people would have an opinion but a lot of it is self-imposed so I um, got out of an abusive marriage six years ago now. So 21 years of uh, uh, an abusive marriage that was very unhappy. And I have three amazing kids from it. So nothing's ever wasted, is it? But, you know, you then go through the blame thing. And what did I do? Because it's all there is elements of both in that always. And I would never say otherwise. Um, but then you have to rebuild that self. So, and you've got a very disjointed view of yourself. And that's, that was quite deliberate. You know, that was over 21 years of programming. And so you've got to reassess who you are and where you're coming from. And it's me that's my critic. So, you know, you go through the whole, okay, well, I've really liked find my life partner, but I need to be, I don't know, maybe four or five stone lighter because they won't, it, it won't be the right person because the right person wouldn't like me how I am now. And so it's my internal voice that's my biggest critic. And, and so you've got the inner critic, but when you when you say that it's your internal voice, is it your voice that you hear or is it somebody else's? That's a really good question. I think I think some of it is my voice, but I, I is it it's probably my programmed voice. It's the one. Mm. And I think that's hard. I think this is where it becomes hard to know where where that voice comes from. I think some of it comes from my mum and, and I adore my mum. You know, I she I absolutely adore my mum. She was brilliant, but I was always trying to prove myself. She once said to me when I was about seventeen or eighteen, "You need to see something through. You can't keep popping from one job to another because people won't people won't want you." Because I, I'd not found what I wanted to do. Well, I did. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an actor. But my dad had said, "Well, you get a trade behind you, and I'll you know we'll back you." Of course, I've never did. My mum said, you're not tough enough to be an actor because when you got rejected, you'd never be able to stand it. And she was right. She was right. Um, um, I find it easier on the other side, like, you know, directing, because I'm not yes. I'm I'm the one in control of that. Yeah. But isn't it interesting when parents make these comments and, you know, we there are thousands of people that experience this sort of thing, What's interesting about the way that your life has panned out when you look at the fact that you have these multiple businesses and these multiple hats that you 
you have to wear, you are still going from one thing to another to another, which was the very thing that your mum warned you not to do. Yeah. So what's that about? What are you trying to, who are you trying to prove to there? Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I say that a lot, don't I? Um, I think I'm trying to work out where I fit. I think most of my life I felt like I don't fit. Because because what I found through my experience working with people is when we experience something dramatic or, or even something small, actually, in our early years, in our teenage years, and we put a meaning on what happens. So it could be a comment that a parent's made. It could be a trauma. It could be an experience with somebody at school that happened. When we give that a meaning, what we tend to do through our adult life then is constantly try and prove that belief and that meaning correct so we actually end up living our life and you know creating situations and scenarios that that prove our belief to be correct so you know if you if you decide at an early age that you're never going to be able to be an actor because you can't cope with rejection because that's something that you've been hearing through your parents narrative then every situation that you go into you go into there knowing that you're going to be rejected and therefore you don't put your full self forward you have to portray the actress or the actor instead Mm -hmm. in order to succeed but then that's incongruent with who you are and your true self and that's where the inner critic is able to get in Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense And so if we go back to that that inner critic scenario and I was asking you about whose voice it was, you said that there was your mum's voice in there and and we'd expect that, mums and dads. And any significant carer really that we've had growing up because we've got that level of conditioning. But equally, I think when you've been in an abusive relationship and you've said that this was 21 years, are you able to tell us a little bit more about that in terms of how that abuse kind of played out and, and what that felt like for you yeah um well he was uh, financially emotionally and physically abusive and um physically was the very least of it really that only happened when he got to the end of his tether and it was always about money uh, the abuse the physical abuse was always about money and uh, but emotionally you know it was a very slow people say why do you stay but it's it's Unless you've been in an abusive relationship, you don't understand it. And I'm sure I would never have understood it if I'd not been in it myself. But I was already quite damaged, I would say. So I've shared with you, and I don't mind sharing again, that as a child I was sexually abused. I never told my mum that, never told her, because I felt like she would say to me, what did you do to encourage her? And I was a very, I don't even know how old I was, but I was a young girl. I, you know, I was probably five or six, you know, very, very young. And I've had lots of counselling over the years about it. But I just, when I went into my marriage, I'd just come back from living in America. And I'd gone into some counselling there and I was dealing really well with it. And then I came back home, my visa ran out and I came back home. So I think I was already quite vulnerable. And knowing quite a lot now about narcissism, narcissists look for somebody who is... Of course they do. Yeah. And so I understand an awful lot and I can trace it now and I can work it out. Yeah. And it was very slow and gradual and insidious because most abuse is. And 
by the time we got to the point, I got two children at the time and I had a car accident and um, I was working in the evenings. I was doing network marketing and I was driving back. We lived in the Lake District and I was driving over the fells and there'd been black ice and I rolled the car. They thought I'd broken my bike. It was horrible. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't done any of that. But he followed me in the ambulance he we got somebody to look after the children he did and then he followed me and they had to pull over because um i was going to be sick and they strapped me to a trolley because they thought i'd broken my back and they couldn't get any, uh, a needle in me to give me an anti-sickness so they called over to the whole hard shoulder long story short stayed in i was fine came back and the very next day Probably the worst thing that ever happened in my marriage was, um, and there were some awful things, but this was, he sat on the bed the next day with me and I was on bed rest. So I had to lay flat and on bed rest. And he said, yesterday when I passed you in the car, I thought you'd died. I said, yeah, I thought, but I thought at the time, gosh, I hope he's not following me. And he said, um, yeah, but I need to tell you something. I said, okay. Uh, I'm so sorry that, you know, that you went through that. He said, yeah, the worst thing was that actually I wished you had. Yeah, we'd have been much better off without you. You're very difficult to live with. And out of all of the things, and there were many, (laughs) that was, that was the hardest. Um, When you, when you think about that now, mm -hmm. can you close your eyes and put yourself back in your shoes and just, just, if you can connect with that moment and tell me what the level of distress is out of 10. Oh, 11. 11. So you can still feel it. Open your eyes for me. I want you to just put your hands on your shoulders and just come down your arms and cross over your palms. This is something called havening. I want you to do that and I want you to count backwards from 100 in threes out loud. So no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> I I cannot count backwards in threes, so I won't know if you go right or wrong. It's all good. (laughs) Out loud. Okay. 97, 44, 91, 88, 82, 79, 76, 73, 70, 67, 64, 61, 58. You're much better at me than that. That's amazing. And just keep going with the arms for me. So from your shoulders, down your arms and across your palms. And I want you to just give me three locations where you've had a happy holiday. Oh, California, um, Florida and Greece. Lovely. Well, I'm going to choose California and I'll ask you to spell that backwards for me, please. (laughs) <laughs> as well, you know. um, your face is a picture <laughs> this is where all my this, I just get exposed A-I-N-I-R-O-F-I-L-A-C now see you're, you're in a, you're putting the annotation on that last letter like I'm going to know whether that's right or wrong but I haven't got a clue so but you know what it's all good so just 
pause for me with your hands and I want you to just keep your head really still. Move your eyes to the left for me and then to the right and to the left and the right and once more to the left and then to the right and then back to normal. And I want you to just close your eyes again. I want you to connect back with that moment and just tell me what's changed and what the score is now, please. Um, yes, much less, much less. I would say... Yeah, I can, I, I'm almost observing it rather than feeling it. And I would say maybe a two. Lovely. And then open your eyes. You're doing really well. So we're going to just do some more. So hands back on your shoulders. We're going to move down and across the, the palms. And I'd like you to just give me an animal beginning with B. And an item of clothing beginning with J. Jumper. Nice. And a place beginning with S. San Francisco. And an animal beginning with Z. Zebra. And let's have a clothing item beginning with C. Uh, uh, cap. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And a place beginning with E. Mm, um, Ecuador. Lovely. And give me your three favourite names. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> it's just it's not fair to them to say. <laughs> um oh goodness three favorite that's really hard um it's not at all but i can't use their names so um ben and um jerry <laughs> hagen and Boss. <laughs> let's go along ice cream then give me your three favorite ice cream flavors easy praline uh, pistachio and coffee. Love that. Coffee, really? <laughs> My husband would love you. <laughs> I mean, just, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Of, I like coffee, but not coffee ice cream. So pause with your hands again for me. And I just want you to circle your eyes clockwise. Brilliant. Oh, you're good at that. And then anti-clockwise. Brilliant. Do you know what? Most people or a lot of people, when they circle their eyes, they miss parts of it, which is suggesting that there's something they don't want to look at. But you're doing the whole thing, which is marvellous, shows that you're very in tune with all of the stuff that's happened to you, which you'd expect because you've had lots of counselling. Now, let's give a nice deep breath those deep breaths well done and then just go back for me connect back with that moment and again just tell me what's changed and what the score is funnily enough i can't see it as easily is there any emotional distress there at all now no emotion whatsoever and i can't even picture the the exact i could see before very good Now, we went straight into that because I could see, as you were describing it, that the levels of distress was there. And so it was the perfect time to work on that. But I would normally tell you beforehand what we were what we were doing. Um, So I'll just explain to you now what's just happened. So whenever you have a traumatic experience, whether that be what's described as a big T trauma, which would be the car accident itself or the abuse that you've described or you know a small t trauma which would be something like the conversation that you had you know which was which was just a dreadful thing to hear about yourself 
whenever something like that happens, all of the information that is sensory and wrapped around that, so what you can see and hear and smell and taste and touch, all of that is flowing in through your senses and it goes into the thalamus, which I describe as the giant sorting office. And, you know, the pink royal mail flinging the letters around. That's what the thalamus does with all of the stuff that you're bringing in through your senses. And it asks two killer questions, really. It asks whether you are perceiving what's happening as a threat to your well-being and your security. And it asks whether this situation is being perceived as inescapable from. So Mm -hmm. not in the sense that you're tied up and you can't get away, but certainly in a metaphoric sense, you Mm -hmm. feel like you can't escape from the situation that you're in. Right. And if the thalamus perceives that the answer to both of those questions is yes, then what happens is I'm going to show you my glass heart here that I have on my desk. And the, the people listening can't see this, but for your purposes, imagine this is the amygdala in your brain. The information from that event that you experienced, that awful event with your husband, would have started to flow over pathways in the amygdala. And rather than flow out the other side and go to the giant filing cabinet in your brain where most of your memories are stored, it would have, because it was perceived as a threat and inescapable, it would have stuck itself to your amygdala like a landmine in a field. That's the way I describe it. Mm-hmm. And all of those horrible events that have happened to you over time are all sitting there on the amygdala like landmines. Mm-hmm such that when you're in a situation moving forward from that event and sensory information is flowing in, as that sensory information flows over the amygdala, it's having a look at all of the different landmines and saying, is this new situation similar to one that I've experienced before? Mm. And if it is, then what happens is that landmine triggers and it provides you with an emotional response, which is similar to that fight, flight or freeze response. But if you've had lots of traumatic experiences and there are lots of landmines on the amygdala, what you get very good at is having that emotional response, but numbing it back down again. So you don't allow yourself to respond. And you alluded to that when you said the physical aspect of the abusive relationship was by the by. It was traumatic, I'm sure. But you got used to just going, can't respond to this, just got to push it down. Mm. And what we tend to do is push it down with things like food or alcohol or gambling or unhelpful things that don't serve us in in a very good way. Mm. Now, what we've just done there in that bizarre exercise is we helped you to create delta waves in your brain so what you did there is you set the alarm off on the little landmine that represented that traumatic experience and perhaps four or five others that are linked to it and you set off an alarm on that on that scenario and then we created delta waves through the touching of your arms and your palms that created the delta wave brainwave state which gives us chemical release of calcium and serotonin Mm. that acts like a crowbar and the crowbar gets in underneath that landmine and flicks it off and moves it to the memory store so when you're saying i feel like an observer i feel like i can't see it anymore it's because it's not there as a as a threat now ready to trip you up it's something that's taken its place in history and it's not going to trigger you moving forward again wow so it's hugely um impactive this technique when it comes to dealing with trauma 
And it's certainly something I personally used it for the abuse situation I was in. You know that we share the same story. And, and it's something when you've had something severe that you don't necessarily want to relive again and drudge it all up. Mm. You can use it because, as you saw, the, um, the techniques to distract you, like counting backwards and all of that stuff, they are used to safeguard you so that you don't have to relive the whole trauma again. Wow. So you've just done some really great work there <laughs> in terms of neutralizing one of those traumas. And I'll just ask you to think about it again now. So if you try and get back to it now, where are you in terms of level of distress? I'm not distressed. I don't even, in fact, I can't even get in the room. I can just oh, look. Yeah. That's brilliant. Mm. So when we, when we, we can talk about that situation now without it causing you distress, which is good. But when we think about that and we think about, you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you've given your life to and, and in a partnership scenario and had children with, et cetera, et cetera, that person saying that essentially you're worthless in that moment was that the first time you'd ever felt that or has there been earlier times before oh no there's been earlier times I'm sure yeah I'm sure yeah yeah and I think it was just another of those so I ignored it which makes all ties in with what you've just said doesn't it you get to a place where it's you're so used to hearing it yeah but it's still shocking when you hear it but you accept it as being your truth yes Exactly. I was just going to say it, it became my truth. Yeah. But I think what's interesting about that then when you layer over some of the narrative from your mum is you've you've kind of grown up and quite often people who have been victims of abuse carry this kind of I'm, I'm worthless, you know, type of thinking. You have that is reinforced in an in abusive relationship. But equally, there's it's incongruent with who you are on the inside because you want to flourish you want to do well and so the fighting part of you becomes that one that is constantly striving to do better do more yes would that that be right yeah it's like I've got to yeah prove myself yeah and if it's if this is really good and that will make up for it I think and then when I get there and I do that thing that's really good I need to do it a bit more (laughs) (laughs) bit better bit more bit harder bit faster (laughs) next time it'll be just right yeah yeah and if you just get to there then then it will be it'll be fine (laughs) the fact that you're already okay just as you are Mm. yeah I I guess I don't feel that Mm. and that is the biggest problem to solve isn't it because when your value has been eroded over time and experiences and and you've had your share (laughs) more than your share of experiences that have eroded your value and and a lot of those were as a child and a lot of those you couldn't have done anything about no and and so your value is eroded by the behavior of others you then have this kind of very low self-value which which helps you to attract narcissistic relationships and all of the things that you've experienced, which further erodes your self-value. And you get to a place where I call it the, the stain on the window. So I believe that we have this window into ourselves that is purely transparent. And you know this, that, you know, when we're interacting with people, what they're saying and doing and how they're behaving is completely neutral until it comes through our window. 
and we place a meaning on it based on our experiences. Yeah. And I call that the stain. You know, good Catholic girl grew up in, in churches with stained glass windows. Think stains on your windows that you start to see this sensory information through and you bring it in with your meanings and perceptions attached to it. And so a piece of information, a piece of interaction that is neutral can become, I don't matter, I'm worthless, he doesn't love me, she doesn't like me, because you're, you're seeing it through the stain on your window. Yeah. And when we, we look back to the beginning of this in terms of the inner critic, I think that's one of the key things to look out for in all of this is this idea that when when information is flowing in and you're providing a meaning to it is that meaning true or is that meaning based on the stain Mm, that's an interesting point yeah but how do you differentiate it's incredibly difficult to get to a situation where you can do the intervention of the thinking because what we're what we're tuned in to do a lot of the time is it happens we make it mean this and then we react and we, we as you say, how do you differentiate between those people who are genuine in their intention and then those people that aren't like the narcissist? Now, often what I what I encourage you to do is to search inwardly for what I call the visceral reaction. So often when something isn't right for us and, and you've got the vulnerable landscape in the brain because of all the experiences that you've had, you will get the butterfly effect in your stomach. So something feels attractive and it gives you the flurry and you're making it mean that this is probably going to be good for me to start with. But actually, when you tune in and feel that butterfly feeling in your tummy, that's when the guard needs to go up a little bit and you need to look at it more deeply. Okay. Can you relate with that feeling? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And but I always, because um, I'm quite a positive person, I've worked really hard on becoming a positive person because I was very negative. And I think... So I, I, I'm big on gut feelings, um, but it's then you have to second guess it, isn't it? And I, I think as well, once you understand narcissism and you know if you were attracting narcissism, then you have to be even more doubly sure. Be very cautious, haven't you? Yeah, incredibly cautious because, yeah, because I can't go back down that road again. No. Most definitely not. And actually, probably from what you've learned and because you're having therapy and and the rest of it, there'll be a protection mechanism that you've been able to put in place anyway around that such that you won't necessarily be the beacon um, or the mermaid siren that's attracting those things. That's what I would hope now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm also learning to be able to um, be true to myself instead of pleasing everybody. I'm putting myself last. I'm actually starting to be, I'm beginning to go, okay, well, is that right for me? Yeah. So that idea of um, my own priority is me. Yes. And so you build from what it is that you want, such that you can actually be better for everybody else as well. Absolutely. And that I guess that's my, that's my leverage to go. It's okay, because you're going to be better for everybody else if you look after yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you got a recent example of, you know, this idea where you're constantly trying to prove yourself it's not quite good enough? Have you got a recent example of when that might have happened and when that might be true? Um, yeah, I guess 
Yeah, I have. I mean, we started a new business. There's a business one, there's a personal one. Which well, which would you want to go? Which, whichever you're comfortable with. I guess. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all hard start. And I'm going to tell you that, you know, the wonderful world of dating online. When you... Oh, I've done it in the past. <laughs> Such a dream. And, um, you know, and so you can be talking to a, a guy and I'm very cautious, very cautious. Mm-hmm. It's somebody for a long time before I do anything. And then they ghost you and they go. What do you make that mean? Uh, well, obviously, I've done something wrong, but it's happened to me. It happened to me last week, and I'm like, actually, no, this is your problem. This is your problem because there was, you know, I, I'm I'm very upfront and very open. I'm very. This is who I am, and this, and I'm not changing from that. You know, because there's certain moralistic standards, and I won't do it. You know, so it's I won't meet you until I'm comfortable. I definitely won't be having a physical relationship with you until I'm way down the line. So I, and I lay it all out. Lay it out. This is what I am and this is what I will and won't do. And we've done all that and we've gone, you know, and, I, and then it was just, well, what happened there? So I was a little bit, at first I was a bit hurt. And I was like, hang on a second. And then I, I, I came to the conclusion, actually, this is your problem, not my problem. Because I've been up from, from the start. Which is, I mean, that is demonstrating huge amounts of growth on on your side. Because what I would what I would expect from someone who has lots of lots of experience with narcissists is that that wanting to go and fish in the water and find oh. out. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to do that, and but def- you're not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And that's the first time ever actually because yeah I do want to and I want to fix it it's like well no I just wanted to it needs to be fair yeah 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 I want to know exactly why because it's not fair so there is a trained response that you are you have learned to do to safeguard yourself which is I know that it's about him and not me and therefore I'm not responding but that little girl inside of you is still going what have I done wrong? I need an explanation. Tell me what's gone on. Yeah. Make make me understand that I have done something wrong because then I'll probably feel better. Yeah. Because is that what you're looking for in terms of that desire to know you've done something wrong? Yeah. And the last thing that, one of the last conversations we had, uh, we were just talking generally and I'd said, what have you had for lunch? And he said, oh, I have white bread at lunch. I said, oh, do you? Why? And he said, well, I don't want to get fat. And we were on a video call. And so immediately, when it all was going pear-shaped, it was, okay, he thought that um, after weeks of not thinking, he must have thought I was fat. Ah, so that's the stain on the window. Mm. And there has to be something that's wrong with you to explain his behaviour. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like you to do, if you can, is put yourself back in those moments where you're making it mean that it's because you're fat. Just see if you can connect back to that and tell me if you get a feeling in your body when you're thinking about that. Yeah, it's like a... Straight away, I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Describe that feeling to me. Um, I'd describe it as a cold prickly. It was like... It was like something crawling all over you. Disgust. That's... Oh, God, that's a big word, isn't it? 
Mm. Okay, right. How brave are you feeling? I'm not feeling brave, but feel the fear and do it anyway. Confidence <laughs> <laughs> appearing real. There we go. That's what fear is. <laughs> One of the things that we could try, and you know, providing that you're cool with this. We can try to connect with that feeling that is you describe as, as disgust and go back to the first or an earlier time when you can remember having that feeling. And we'll do this with your eyes closed so you can get into it. And I'll ask you some questions about when you first felt that feeling and, and some memories will start to pop in. Now, they might not be the earliest memories yet. Your subconscious might send you one from perhaps 10 years ago or whatever. We can then go in and explore that memory and we can, we'll do something called tapping. Have you done tapping before? I wouldn't. I don't okay. know, but yes, I know the concept. So you've tried it before? Yeah. So what we'll, what we'll do is we'll have a look at the memory and I want you to look at the memory as an observer. You'll be brilliant at this because you're, you're a director in the theatre. So you imagine that you are on the stage, the version of you in the memory, and whoever else is in the memory is on the stage. And you who's sitting there today is watching the performance, okay? Mm -hmm. So you never become you. You're never going to get into your shoes. You're going to be observing you in this theatre production. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Now, you'll, you'll explain what's going on in the memory if you're happy to do so. Mm -hmm. And... You are a bit like Harry Potter as this theatre director because you have the ability to put people on pause if you need to. You can put them in a box. You can put them behind a screen. So if there's something going on that is difficult for you to observe, yeah. you can do what you need to do to make that memory safe yeah. for you to look at. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, yeah. And then what we do is I'll ask you to go in and tap on your echo, your echo being that version of you in the theatre production. And while you tap, you're going to tap on you there as well. So, for example, you'll be tapping on your head and you'll imagine tapping on your head in that memory, too. So it's a two hand job. And then we'll go we'll go to the corner of your eyebrow and the corner of your eyebrow in the memory. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll, ta I'll talk you through the points as we do it. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Once we've dissipated all the emotion in that memory, so your echo is feeling calm and relaxed, I'll then say, ask your echo to take you to a time when she's felt like this before. And again, another memory might click in. And we'll go and do exactly the same in that memory. And what we'll do, we'll get to a point where you say, I haven't been in this one before. This is the first time I've felt this feeling. Right. And then we're going to explore what you made it mean. And we'll get to the limiting belief. You know that I've forgotten everything but the very first thing now, don't you? Of course you have. And don't worry, because I am here and I will talk you through every single stage. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be marvellous. We can't get this right or wrong. It's just an experiment. So... We see where we end up. Are you cool with that? Yeah, cool. Marvellous. Okay, so how are you for time before we... Fine. You're okay? Yeah. Okay, we are going to go for it. So I want you to connect back with that feeling. Yeah. And I want you to just give me, just off the top of your head, an age when you felt that feeling before. Seven. Seven, okay. I want you to just go into the memory when you were seven, if you're happy to do that. And again, remember, you're not stepping into your shoes. You're seeing yourself on the theatre 
stage with whoever else is in the memory. So you're seven. Who else is there? My uncle. Your uncle. Yeah, I'll say, give you the scenario. So um, there's an auditorium full of people and um, there is an entertainer on the stage. And it's um, a Pontins holiday camp. Oh. <laughs> um, so do you want me to tell you what's happening? I just want you to make sure that it's safe first. Do you need to do anything with anybody or are you happy to observe it? Yeah, I'm happy to observe it. Okay, yeah. If you describe to me what's happening then, that would be wonderful. So um, to, it's the children's show uh, in the evening and uh, my uncle has taken me to the show and there's a magician and there's all the blue coats at parties that weren't red coats. Yeah. And... Um, and the uh, magician is asking for help from the crowd. And to be in the crowd, to be picked, you have to sit up very straight and fold your arms. And you have to be picked to put your hand up if you want to be picked. And I'm putting my hand up to be picked. And I'm picked. And um, the blue coat beckons me out to go onto the stage and um, starts to make fun of me and say how fat I am. Okay. Yeah. And my uncle, I look back to get the reassurance and he's... Is he laughing? Yeah. And doing the same. And, and then they're chanting, that, 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 Oh, goodness me. Okay, right. Put the audience on pause for me. Okay. And I want you to imagine all of their faces are neutral. Okay. So they're all on pause and their faces are all neutral. And I want you to pause the blue coat as well. What a mean man he is saying that to you. And now what I want you to do as the director in this movie, I want you to go in and I want you to give that little version of you. She's only seven. I want you to give her a big hug and just let her know that you're there for her and you think she's perfect just as she is. Just give her some reassurance that she isn't getting from her uncle right now. And then I want you to just start to tap on her really gently. So like you're tapping on a baby, you're going to tap on your head and you're going to tap on hers. And just keep reassuring her all the time, just in your mind, letting her know that it's perfect just as she is. And then the inner corner of your eyebrow and hers, that's it. Very good. Inside of your eye and hers, keep telling her how wonderful she is. She should never have been put in this situation. A man just being mean and under the eye. And sometimes people do that to try and get a laugh. And then above the lip and on the chin. And then gently on the collarbone. That's it. And then I want you to just gently tap on the side of your hand, on the karate point on the side of your hand. Just tap gently. And just let me know now how she's doing now that you've tapped on her. Um, less traumatised. Still feeling very vulnerable. I bet she's a brave little girl. I want you to just go in and hold her hand and ask her if there's been an earlier time where she's felt these similar feelings of vulnerability and just see if she takes you anywhere else. Do you want me to tell you what it is? Only if you're happy to. I'm in the school corridor and... Um... The head teacher of the school has just stopped me and um, asked me um, or said that um, he wants me to go and see the school dietitian. How old are you? Um, I would probably have been just a little bit, probably six or seven, probably seven, just but younger than before. Younger than before. So he stopped you and said that you need to see the school dietitian. Yeah. That he doesn't like it when he has obese pupils. Oh, that's a message, isn't it? <laughs>
Honestly, right. I want you to this time put you on pause in the memory. Keep him on play. I want you to just go in and I want you as the adult that you are now to tap on him. Okay. So just tap on the top of his head and then the inner corner of his eyebrow. Six or seven taps at each point. So then the side of the eye. Don't say anything to him yet. Just tap under the eye and above the lip and on the chin and then on the collarbone. And then I want you to just as the adult that you are now, ask him what's going on for him. Why is he approaching a little girl like this? And just see if you can get any insights about who he is and what he believes. No, Not responding. No. Okay, put him back on pause then and then let's put the little girl on play, that little version of you. Such a tiny little girl to hear that message. Just ask her what's going on for her and how she's feeling. Mm, ashamed. She's feeling ashamed. Let's just tap on her then. Tap on you as well. So top of the head and just talk to her all the way through everything that she needs to hear and the corner of the eyebrow. Let me know that she's perfect just as she's in the side of the eye. Beautiful little girl. And under the eye. And on the lip. That's it. I'm just letting her know that she just needs to be happy with who she is and it doesn't matter about other people's opinions on the cheek and then on the collar. And then back down to your hand. So she's feeling this feeling of being ashamed. Where does she feel that in her body? Um, across here, um, particularly shoulders. Yeah. Is that similar to that feeling of disgust that you had originally, or is it different? No, it's different. It's a different feeling. Mm. And is that the first time she's had that feeling? No, I don't think so. Has it been an earlier time? Yeah, I think so. But I think that'll be back, like back to the abuse. We're not going to go there today because I want to protect yeah. you from that on the on the podcast. So what I want to do with you then at this point is just to reprint that memory with the teacher. OK, and when you think about that memory and you said that it had shame included in it, I want you to just go back into it and ask that little version of you what she made all of that mean at that point in time about herself or it might have been about other people or the world in general I think that it's I think she just thought it was her fault that, that she'd done something wrong yeah 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 I do and that she should be better if she was better she wouldn't be fat if she was better she wouldn't be fat mm. Wowzers. If, if I was better I wouldn't be fat yeah I'd have more control and I wouldn't eat the things that weren't right. Is that something that you can connect with now? If I was better, I wouldn't be fat. Yeah, but not for eating the wrong things now. But yeah, I guess that is what I think. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the little girl who was making it mean that if she was better, she wouldn't be fat. And I want you to just go back into that memory at that point where she's making it mean if I was better, I wouldn't be fat. And tell me... What did she need to happen at that moment in time to change her perception and to change what she made it mean into something more positive? I think what I needed was my mum to give me a hug and to suggest that we learn together. I, I remember the first dietitian appointment and just wanting to curl up in a ball and die. Yeah, I needed her to come alongside rather than just thought, oh, it's time we learn together because I was placated because I was so tiny when they took on a business. I was given food 
just like, I have this. And God sit and watch the TV, we're busy. And I, I needed her to take some responsibility, I think. Yeah. Can I just check at this moment that you're okay? I can hear yeah. somebody in the background. Are you okay still talking? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I turned you down, not me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I want you to do then, if you're happy, is to go back into that memory at the point where he's just said that you need to see this dietitian. And I want you to imagine your mum is in the memory as well. And I want you to play a movie in your mind of what could have happened instead to make sure that that little girl didn't form this memory or this belief of if I do things better then I won't be fat so I want you to just play a movie of your mum giving you a hug letting you know she's there and that you're both going to learn together as you move forward but that you're okay just as you are right now can you see that movie playing yeah so as you watch that movie and you're smiling over and over again keep watching it over and over again and I want you to just put a color around the outside of the movie screen what would the color be purple purple beautiful calming purple i want you to feel that purple color now coming in through the top of your head and i want you to imagine that it's bringing with it just warmth and love and knowing that you're okay just as you are and i want you to feel that purple color flow all the way through your head down over your shoulders lifting away that heaviness lifting away that feeling of shame feel it flow down both of your arms into your fingertips down your spine and over your chest feel it get right into your very core into the very fiber of who you are bringing with it that reassurance from your mom that knowing that you're okay just as you are and that you can learn the things that you need to learn in due course feel that purple color flow now down both of your legs and out through the soles of your feet and into the earth and then i want you to imagine drawing that color back up from the earth and all the way up and into your heart just place one of your hands on your heart now because what I'd like you to do now is to send that light and that feeling of knowing that you're okay just as you are send that out into the universe as far as you can in every direction that you can for every single person that needs to know that too and then I want you to attract it back track back that feeling of being okay just as you are attract it back in every single scenario that you'll experience moving forward and then i want you to just check in for me on that little girl how is she feeling now she's standing taller now mm. and i want you to give her a really special job to do i want you to give her a little basket full of balls of purple light and i want you to have her throw that ball of light and all of them to every version of you before and after this event that's ever felt like she needed to be better ever felt like she needed to be more to do more to have more in order to be okay every single version of you that's felt fat and unlovable because you're fat unsuccessful because you're fat every version of you that's ever told yourself a lie and have her send them she'll know exactly where to send them and fill up all of those versions of you with that beautiful purple light of knowing that you're okay just as you are and then when you've done that i want you to shrink down that tv with the movie of you and your mum and make it tiny 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 like a doll's house tv and then just imagine popping that in front of your chest next to your heart so that you can carry that new perception with you wherever you go and then whenever you're ready you can just open your eyes and come back into the room 
How's that? Yeah, it's comforting. Really comforting. Yeah. Deep breath. Are you okay? Yeah. You are amazing during that. <laughs> wow. I mean, what two massive memories there. Mm. Hardly surprising, is it, that your inner critic is in overdrive? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You forget these things, though. You've, uh, well, you, you place them where you don't remember them. You don't forget them. Okay. You just don't deal with them. That's, the I, I think. The matrix, which we've just done, is, is brilliant at bringing to you the memories that you need to see in order to heal and move forward. Mm. You know, and, and everything that you wrote in that synopsis to me about your inner critic was about, you know, you said, when I lose weight, I'll find the perfect man. How will you ever be successful in your, in your corporate pitches when you look fat? And, you know, it was all about this, this connection between what you weigh and how you look and the success that you'll bring to you, towards you and afford. And actually, there isn't a link between those two things other than the link and the association that you've made in your head mm. based on this belief that you formed when you were a little girl. Yeah, yeah. It's really powerful and very strong. Hugely. Mm. But now you've reprinted it, your yeah. perception of that first memory will be of you and your mom. Mm. And you'll you'll constantly be only be able to revisit that picture. It'll be grow stronger and stronger and stronger. So if you, if the thought comes in that it was before, you replace it with the movie that we made. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And this idea that I'm okay just as I am. I'm okay just as I am. So your baseline for your self-value is strong. And then it's okay to build on that. And it's okay to want to do more, have more, be more. But you're coming from a place of my value today is perfect just as it is. Mm. And the only reason I doubted that was because of my experiences. Yeah, yeah. You're reprogramming an awful lot, aren't you, really? Totally. Mm. Yeah, wow. Thank you. <laughs> You've been absolutely incredible today <laughs> thank you <laughs> very very well done i'm going to pause our podcast here but say a huge thank you to you for being so open and honest and willing and i hope you've had value from it yeah thank you very much so and then i'm going to pause here and then i'm going to come and speak to you now just to kind of um finish it yeah. off so big thank you and i'm sure the people that are listening have I've really gained something from that as well. So thank you for being vulnerable. <laughs> thank you. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode and do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.